Is anybody excited about their Jesus today? Yeah. Amen. All right. Our children are dismissed to Kids Dome. So if you are a child in here, not a child at heart, amen, but a child, glory to God, you are dismissed to Kids Dome. Praise the Lord. And as our children are being dismissed to Kids Dome today, we have a special guest, someone very special to me. Um, he is a brother in the Lord, and he has preached here a few times, but I just want to uh, express my love for this man. Um, he's blessed my life. He's a mentor, but not just a mentor, but he's a real friend. He's a true example of what I believe is sincerity. Um, what, is, what is real humility, just a guy who really gets and understands the grace of God, and um, like I said, he's been a blessing to me, and he's been a blessing to us a few times together. So put your hands together for Dr. Pete Owenson yeah. as he comes forward to share the word with us this morning. Thank you, Thank you brother. Thank you. Wow. Well, I love you too, Bishop. And I love worshiping with you all here. I mean, when you come here, you really worship, don't you? How, how was your Christmas? And you worshiped then too, and you had a worship on Christmas Day, right? How come I wasn't in on that? I don't know. But you guys were, and so that was awesome. What great worship time today. Thank you so much for letting me be a part of uh, your worship today, as well as your church family. And I do love your bishop. I do love uh, his family. Uh, I, I appreciate the ministry of this church more than I can say. Uh, we've got real women and real men here, don't we? Amen. That's right. That's right. I love it. I think this church prepares you for communion better than many churches do. I mean, that, what, what, what our brother did up here this morning to prepare us for communion was excellent. And I need that. I need to be called to remember my own sin and my own Savior in Jesus. So thank you so much. Thank you for the worship. We are ready now. If you haven't heard enough sermons... Uh, well, I've heard two or three already today, and you think you're going to get out of here today without another one, and that's just not going to happen. You are going to hear another sermon today, and it's a privilege to be the one to deliver it. What, what have we been, what have you been, because I've been hearing it on the side, what have you been studying for the last year? What book of the Bible? John. John's Gospel. And we've got John Casanova here, but we've got the Gospel... <laughs> <laughs> but we got the gospel of John here, and Bishop has really been pouring it out and laying it out all year long, hasn't he? I mean, these, these weren't here earlier in the year when I was here. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten. Say it with me. That whosoever believes in him should not perish, but of everlasting life. And this one, I am the way. Say it together. The way and the truth and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. John's gospel is powerful. It's one of the wonderful books of the Bible. And I was trying to rank the New Testament this year as to what books influenced me the most. I couldn't do it. I can, I can rank the Old Testament because uh, I like Ecclesiastes. I like Genesis, Exodus. You get to Leviticus, you go, oh, no. You know, that's not my top three. But I... But I can't rank the New Testament, but if, of the Gospels, which one do we typically say to a brand new believer, hey, take this and read this? Book of John. 
We do over and over and over. And, and I want you to know, as I travel, and I get to travel a little bit around this country. I was in Ohio a couple of times this year. I was in Alaska this year. Talk about God's frozen chosen. <laughs> it was cold over there. It was good to be there. But I want you to know, as I travel, and as I, as I hear what's going on in churches, as I understand what's going along among Christians, I want you to know that there is a famine for the true word of God in our country. And by that I mean that a lot of churches are getting sermonettes and not sermons. That a lot of churches are getting a word, not the word. That, that a lot of Christians around the United States are getting morsels. They're getting sugar. They're not getting protein. And in this church, you get protein. The Apostle Paul said in Acts 20, as he met the Ephesian elders for the last time, he said, you know, I love you guys deeply, but you know one thing. I didn't fail to give to you the full counsel of God. The whole counsel of God. The only way I know you can get the whole counsel of God is if you go through whole books of the Bible. And that may seem easy, and it's not. And to go deep week after week in the Word of God, in one book, and unfolding it. See, what Bishop has done for you is now by the end of this, but, but as, we, as you move on into, into 2016, you're going to have this one book that you have gotten line upon line, precept upon precept. And you go back to John. You may not remember all the sermons, but you can remember some of the detail of the texts. And when you're hurting and when you're in pain, when I'm hurting, I'm, I can go back and I can look at that text. And so I want you to know, he's, he has laid the foundation, put a feast out for us this year. And he left me the last chapter. <laughs> and I can't tell you what a privilege it is. John chapter 20, 21, the resurrection. You have your Bibles. Take them and turn there. Uh, if you don't have your Bibles, that's okay. What we're going to put up here is the Bible. You have to trust us on that. Uh, but, but I want you to know as we talk about John chapter 21, we're getting into the resurrection. Now, we've just had the incarnation at Christmas, haven't we? The, the enfleshing of the Son of God. Can you imagine that? The eternal Son of God taking on human flesh and becoming one of us. Did he have to be a human? To be our Savior. Yes, he did. Did he have to be divine to be our Savior? Yes, he did. There is a first Adam and there is a second Adam. And that's Jesus Christ who took our sin and our curse and paid for our debt completely. That's what we just celebrated in communion this morning. How powerful that is. And so we've gone from Christmas and now we're, we're looking ahead. And really, we're looking ahead to the resurrection at the end of the book of John. And uh, does John, here's a trivia question. Does John have a birth narrative of Jesus? The answer is no. Matthew does. Luke does. John starts out with the eternal perspective of Jesus. He says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He, Jesus, was in the beginning with God. And so it's, John's gospel starts with this cosmos. Well, you remember that sermon, right? Say yes. Yes. But he starts out with a cosmic view of Christ who becomes a man and takes on our flesh and he gets us to the cross. And in his death burial, wonderful things are happening. But if it weren't for the resurrection, the most stupendous thing wouldn't happen. We would not be forgiven. You sang my favorite song right now. You're a good, good father. I love worship. You said all, all your songs were wonderful today. 
I worshiped. But that's my new theme song. Because of what Jesus has done. And I need, I need an eternal father. I need a heavenly father. You say you're old. I know. But I still need a father. Because where I'm going, I've never been before. I, I love Leo Buscaglia. Leo Buscaglia is dead. He's not a hero. He's my favorite dead pagan. But he was a wonderful guy with a great heart. He just didn't know Jesus. That was the worst thing about him. The best thing about him is he understood love. And one time he was speaking to a group of teachers that he was training. And he said to these teachers who sit in front and stand in front of kids all day long, he said, if you're bored, you're boring. Wow, what an indictment for a teacher. And I love that he said that because as a teacher, I know that the biggest sin is boring the people of God. I remember in college one time I had a class and he was the boringest teacher in the world on the planet ever since the beginning of mankind. <laughs> and the topic was Roman history. It's a fascinating history. I wanted to learn in the class, but he put me to sleep. I felt sorry for him. I felt sorry for me. I felt sorry for everybody in the class. I think he was bored. He was certainly boring. <laughs> but let me tell you this. When it comes to the resurrection of Jesus Christ, John Piper's got it right. He says, the Christian life is anything but boring. How could resurrection be boring? I love that. How could resurrection be boring? How can the Christian life be boring? When you have a resurrected Lord who promises resurrection for all of us and who has done the work on the cross, everything we need that we would one day experience that resurrection. So today we need to look at the resurrection of Jesus. And I want to read to you. I, I want to tell you in advance i got three points, only three points, with about 45 sub points. But I've only got three points. You, what's your longest sermon, Bishop? 12, an hour and 15 minutes? It's not going to be that long. All right? Amen? Amen. All right. But, but I've got three points for you in this, in this message, uh, but, but I want to read the, most of John 21 for you at the beginning. You ready to go? John 21, here we go. After this, after this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. After what? After this. After what? Well, after his, after his death, burial, and his resurrection. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and the two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. And they said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was the Lord Jesus. It was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, 
for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came into the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on the land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish. How many? A hundred and fifty-three of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have some breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them. And so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Ladies and gentlemen, this was a holy moment. I don't know what you did on Christmas Eve. I know you're getting ready for the Christmas Day prayer service, but on Christmas Eve often uh, our, our church would um, sing at the very last song, as we lit candles, we would sing, Silent Night, Holy Night. And when we do that, they would turn the lights down in the church and, and every all the little kids would be trying to light their neighbors on fire and... Uh, <laughs> Uh, but, but, but the song, you could picture almost that little town of Bethlehem. How quiet, cold. You could almost feel that it was a, it felt like a holy moment. It was a silent night, holy night when Jesus was born. And I think this was another one of those times when the disciples were kind of like this, eyes wide. Because they knew, they didn't know at first, but then they knew it was the Lord. Risen from the dead bodily, right there. He'd made breakfast for them. I got three points. From this text and the rest of the chapter, I want you to note, first of all, it's so, so powerful. The revealing, I want you to see the revealing of Jesus in who he is, the, the grace of certainty. I'll, I'll go on to that. Secondly, I want you to see the refreshment, the grace of provision. Third, I want you to see restoration, the grace of forgiveness. But first of all, the revealing, the grace of certainty. Notice in this text, if you will, that Jesus reveals himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Galilee, and he reveals, the word reveal is, is said several times here, reveal. It's the word revelation. It's making that which is not clear, clear. It's making that which is not understandable, understandable. Jesus says, this is who I am. I'm alive from the dead. Here I am. Make no mistake about it. And it's a grace. Did he have to do that? Could Jesus have just risen from the dead, gone to heaven, and ascended to heaven? Absolutely, he could. He's God. He could do whatever he wants. He didn't ask my opinion on it, but he reveals himself. And why does he do it? He reveals himself to his disciples on earth at that time so that they could have what I call the grace of certainty. He really is alive from the dead. Let me ask you this. What good would it be for me to say to you, Jesus rose from the dead, but there to be no external proof that he rose from the dead? What good? Well, nice idea, Pete. But if he really did raise from the dead, and those who saw him die saw him alive, is that powerful? Oh, it's a gift. Because we do walk by faith, not by sight, don't we? 
There are a lot of things we don't understand. We, we don't know why certain people get sick why, in the way they do, why they die in the way they do, why they lose their jobs. We don't understand a whole lot, but if we know that a dead man, our Savior, got up and walked, it makes all the difference in the world. So he gives them the grace of certainty as he reveals himself. He's revealing to his disciples. And by the way, uh, the book of Acts in 1 Corinthians 15 shows us that there were 12 spectacular self-revelations of Jesus after his resurrection over a period of 40 days. It wasn't just this time. Uh, we need that. I need to be reminded because there's days I lose faith. Not the faith. I don't cease to be a Christian. But there's days I go, God, I don't know if I can trust you. I, I know I sang at church that you're a good, good father, but right now I'm not sure, sir. And I need to go back to an empty tomb and a Savior who's not on the cross, but one who walked and is alive for me, for you. For, uh, it's, it's such a gift. I know people are fond of calling God the hidden God. Let me tell you something about theologians. They like to talk about the hidden God. When I look at creation, it reminds me of Romans chapter 1 that says there, the God has not hidden himself. It reminds me of Psalm 19 that says the earth is the Lord's and it's the handiwork of God. Right. I, I don't believe that God is a, a non-communicative God. I believe God talks all the time to us. Right. Uh, and, and it's not just indigestion. He's really talking to us. <laughs> the reality is he's a communicator. He's a God who reveals himself and he gives here in his revealing the grace of certainty so that in the difficult times, those who were to change the world would know. They saw him. They touched him. They had breakfast with him. They heard him. Um, he reveals himself in a powerful way. Let me tell you a couple things about this historically because I think it's fascinating. It's on the Sea of Tiberias, which is another name for the Sea of Galilee. I wasn't trying to trip you up. But that's the other name, the Sea of Tiberias, the Sea of Galilee. It's right there, and that's, and that's where they were. The disciples were there. Simon Peter, we all know Simon Peter, right? The guy who walks into a room mouth first. And then there's Thomas. What's his nickname? Doubting. Doubting. Uh, Nathaniel, uh, James, and John. Their nicknames were? Sons of... I think God has nicknames for us. I love that Jesus had nicknames for these guys. He called, he called uh, Cephas Rocky Peter because uh, he was kind of a rocky guy. Then it says, it says in the text, and there were two others. Their names are not mentioned. I don't know. There's not a big spiritual truth here, but when I get to heaven, I want to find out who those two other guys were and why their names were left off. <laughs> what did you guys do? You, you weren't mentioned in Scripture. What happened to you? <laughs> but God loved them. God loves them. God knows. Do you feel like you, God doesn't know who you are? Oh, he knows. He knows your name. He knows you and he knows your name. Knows what you've been through. When Peter says, I'm going fishing, the translation is this. I'm going to work. Now, I know that some of you guys like to fish. How many fishers do we have? You guys like to fish? Okay, good, good, good. Have you gone out fishing never caught anything? Yeah, I see that hand. Yeah, yeah. That's me. Back then, though, they, it wasn't, they didn't go out and cast a rod. It's a good day to get it. A, good, a bad day fishing is better than a good day in the office. No. When Peter said, I'm going fishing, he said, I'm going to work because a man's got to eat. And Jesus had been raised from the dead, but he hadn't seen him yet much. I've seen him a little bit, but he, he, hadn't gotten his form, he hasn't gotten his final instructions for the next step. 
And so Peter said, I'm going to work. And the rest of the guys go, well, we're going with you. Because Peter was a leader. And because you just don't go fishing in the first century out of a boat by yourself. It's not like casting a line. It's you got nets, you got sails, you got rigging, you got a to you go at night. Why do you go fishing at night? Because that's when my wife will let me go fishing. No, 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 no. <laughs> you, you, go, you go fishing at night because in the morning you got fresh fish for the people who come down to the beach and buy fish for breakfast, dry some out for lunch or dinner. And so you, you go to work at night, and you got to have somebody holding a torch to see where the fish are and to draw the fish over. Then you cast nets. It was exhausting work. Say, like, how, how was your fishing excursion? It's a good day. It's a great day. Great day fishing. No, it was hard work. And when they come in, how many fish did they catch? Remember, zero. And, and, so, uh, and, and so I love that. Uh, the reality is they fished all night, and they didn't get a thing as an aside do you ever feel like when you do you're doing the lord's work and no fruit or you're asking the lord for something and he doesn't answer the prayer right away the glory of god proverbs says is to conceal a matter the glory of a king is to search out a matter, but the glory of God is to conceal a matter. And that's why he doesn't always tell us what's going on, why he lets us go through lack or waiting or getting no results so he can show us results in his time and in his way. He's showing, Pete, you're not my boss. You're my son, but you're not my boss. And he loves us, but he makes us wait so sometimes, sometimes he can show up. And pull it off like you did here. Uh, I love this. And I love what Jesus says in verse 8. He says, children, children, children. Do you have any fish? That is an endearing term, ladies and gentlemen. My children. What is, what is Jesus called in Isaiah? Isaiah 7, he's called the eternal father. This is not confusing the Trinity but it is showing that Jesus has a fatherly role in our life. He's our Lord. But he also is, in a, in, a, in, a, in a unique way, as our Lord, he's our Father. He leads us. He guides us. Children, do you have any fish? Sometimes he says to, to me, son, is it working out for you exactly how you want? No, not today. And we can go to our... Our Lord, go to our Father, because He's a good, good Father. He's perfect in all of His ways. The reason why we sang that through, I don't know how many times, is because about the 15th time, I was able to say, that's true for me. It's not just true for you, it's true for me. And I know how easy it is uh, for teachers of the scriptures to say, it's, this is the truth, but not experience the truth. Children. Ah, I love this. You're his kids. You are God's kids. Guys, you're his boys. He's proud of you. He loves you. He's not angry at you. Ladies, you're his daughter. That's your core identity. That's who you are. You're loved by him. And I love this in verse 7. That disciple whom Jesus loved, what was his name? John. 
That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said, said to Peter, it is the Lord. And when Simon heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment. And what did he do? He put on his outer garment and then jumped in the water and swam to shore. Now we need some interpretation here. Be careful when you talk to your kids about this. But guys back then in the first century either fished in their boxer shorts or they fished with nothing on. Ladies, I'm just saying. <laughs> Gentlemen, I'm just saying. So when he saw the Lord and he said, that's Jesus, I'm going there. You guys can pull the fish in. Don't you love that about Peter? No. Uh, uh, I love that. Somebody said, Peter generally acts before John does. John generally understands before Peter does. That is way true. That is way true. Peter's a man of action. He, he throws on his clothes. How many of you have put on clothes to jump in water and go swimming? Talk to me. No, no. That's crazy. But the reason he does it is from an Old Testament principle. And the Old Testament principle is this. And the, the Jewish rabbinic thought was this. That no one, if you're going to go meet someone, you don't go walking up to them naked. Not only is it weird, it's disrespectful. So that's why the Jewish way of thinking, Peter put his clothes on, jumped in the water, swam to shore, only drowned, but it was only 100 yards, so he was okay. And they knew it was all Jesus. They knew it was Jesus, not at first completely, but Jesus makes himself known. And, and he spends time with them, doesn't he? giving them the grace of certainty that he really is there. He really is alive. We need that desperately as we head into a new year. As we finish the gospel of John, we, I'm part of your church family, and I'm not here every Sunday. But as we finish the gospel of John, we have to understand who Jesus is, who God is. We, you get the gospel here so fully. Every week, it's wonderful. But as we go to the, to, to, into a new year, as we're here we are, Christmas and New Year's, and I love this sermon of the year because we're facing a year that's unknown. You know what happened in the past. You don't know what's happening in the future. Yes. And I love that cliche. I don't know what the future holds, but I know who holds the future. <laughs> okay, and that's, that's, a, that's a cliche, but it's a good cliche. It's biblically based, but you need to understand that the one who walks with you into 2016 is alive. He's alive from the dead. He walks with us. He talks with us. He's given us his spirit that he could be in us. He has given you in his revealing, not only to the disciples in his revealing the grace of certainty, but he's given to us through his disciples the gift that we don't deserve, the grace of revealing who he really is with the certainty of knowing who he is as we go into an unknown year. That is a gift. The grace of revealing, the gift of certainty. Secondly, I want you to note, he also gives refreshment. Some of you are looking at your clock. Wait, wait, wait. Don't look at your watch. This point is much shorter. <laughs> I know. Sometimes you look out there, you see some guys going, dang, what happened? I got to get a new battery for this. <laughs> the grace of provision. I love this. Verse 8. The other disciples came in the boat dragging the net full of fish. And there's a little bit of irony here. You know, the disciples are probably used to Peter bailing on them. You know, Peter, Peter was here a second ago, and now we got the rest of the job to finish. They're probably used to that. 
The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far off from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on the land, they saw a charcoal fire in place, fish laid out on it, and bread. Bread. You got to love this. He le- 153 fish. Jesus has already got breakfast. Done. I have two questions for you. Why? Um, why do you think they give the number 153? Is it got some spiritual meaning? 153. Let's see. If you add the Father and the Son and get into biblical numerology, Bishop, probably not, huh? Probably not. No. Some, down through church history, some people have said there's a spiritual thing there in that number 150. I don't think so. I think it's a heck of a lot of fish. <laughs> it's a lot of fish. When I go fishing, if I get one or two, I'm happy. I went bass fishing once. My every was catching. I wouldn't catch anything. I gave up bass fishing. I don't fish because I don't catch. But if I get one or get two, that's good. 153, are you kidding me? When Jesus does a miracle, he does it right well. You know, so, so here it is. And, and I love this. Don't you love the reality of, of, of Jesus making breakfast? Some of you men are good cooks. I know a lot, you ladies can cook, but I've got friends that grill and know how to cook and barbecue. They do all that stuff. I wash dishes. I can wash dishes. Yeah, my wife confirmed it. But, but I can't cook anything but eggs. You come over to my house, I'll make you scramble. I make coffee. I can make coffee. Do you think Jesus had coffee up there, by the way? This fish, little bacon, some coffee. Yeah. My daughter told me the other day that losers make excuses, winners make coffee. <laughs> I love this picture of Jesus making breakfast. Because Jesus wanted to hang out with his disciples. He gave them the grace of certainty. And then he gives them the grace of refreshment. Sit down. Relax. Sit with me. Let's spend a little time. Uh, I want you to be sure that I'm alive and I'm real. Do you think he wants that now? Do you think, let me ask you this. Do you think he always wants you busy? Hmm, never thought about that. I've seen that bumper sticker, Jesus is coming, look busy. (laughs) Why? Why that bumper sticker? Because sometimes we have this idea that when I'm doing things for God, God is more pleased than when I'm just sitting enjoying God. Is that true? No, it's a heresy. It's from the pit of hell. It smells like smoke. (laughs) The reality is, you, you read the Old Testament. With the Old Testament, he's got all these feast days. And sometimes these feasts went weeks, week, two weeks. And God wasn't all that upset. He wasn't saying, hey, get to work. He wasn't saying, you know, I love you more when you're busy. He said, I love you more because I love you more. And I've proven it by sending my son. And he gives us the gift of refreshment. I don't think he wants you going into the new year thinking that you've got to gain his love by being busier every day. By doing more for God, what what more could you do for God that would make him love you more than he already loves you because of what God has done for you in Jesus? You see, the gospel of grace is is, is the receiving, not the doing. Jesus did the doing. 
And so there's a wonderful picture here. Uh, Tim Hansel wrote a book years ago, when I, when, I, when I relax, I feel guilty. I understand that because I was raised to be busy to get God to please you and to find my identity. But I found that in the gospel, my identity is in Jesus. I'm a son. Ladies, you are a daughter's. That's your core identity. That will never change. And, you, and now the reality is we do things for God, don't we? We serve. <laughs> but we don't do it because we have to get loved. We do it because we are loved. That's the motive. And the more you and I understand, as we go into a new year, here's the deal. We need the grace of refreshment. The grace of sitting and relaxing before our Father with our Lord by the Spirit and join that we're His sons and daughters. That He's not demanding more of you. He wants you to experience more of Him. <laughs> but there's something unique happens. The more you are loved by Him, the more you want to do for Him. It's just the way it works. That's the way it ought to work. That's the way the gospel works. That's good news, isn't it? Yeah, I love that. Rest in him. Rest in him this year. Rest in him today. Rest in him as you get ready for a new year. Some of you have a, a few days off. Take that time. Rest, relax. Guys, yeah, vacuum the floor. Help your wife out. All right, come on, do that. Yeah, go fishing. Ladies, let them. Relax. There's a revealing, the grace of certainty in this text. Secondly, there's a refreshment, the grace of provision. God will provide. And then finally, the restoration, the grace of forgiveness. I love this uh, as we move ahead. I haven't read this text, so I'm going to read the rest of the chapter. You ready? we got to finish this book, and then we're done. Uh, John 21, verse 15. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? You remember this text? This is a great text. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know I love you. He said to them, feed my lambs. He said to Peter a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? I, I would die. This would be me. Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you're old, you'll stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was going to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following him, John. And he said, Lord, uh, um, Lord, who is it? Wow. I'm looking at my text here. Something happened. Lord, turn saw the disciples of Jesus love following the one who's been, okay, it's right. I just lost. That happens to you when you get my age, all right? <laughs> Verse 20, Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following him, the one who had been reclining at table close to him, and it said, Lord, who is the Lord? Who, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? What about John? Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to me? You follow me. 
So the saying spread abroad uh, among the brothers that this disciple, John, was not going to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not going to die. But if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? This is a disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things. And we know that his testimony is true. In front of all these disciples, what does Jesus do to Peter? And we would die if this happened in church. If this were me, and Bishop said to me after I had sinned against Bishop, do you love me, Peter? What am I going to say in front of you? Well, sometimes. No, I, I love you, Bishop. You imagine the situation? Peter is public. And Jesus is asking some very penetrating questions. Do you really love me? Do you love me? Do you really love me? Do you really, really, really love me? That's kind of what's going on here, isn't it? And Peter says, you know, you know, you know. Now, let me ask you this. Does Peter love Jesus with a perfect love? No. no. Does he know that Jesus, that he doesn't love Jesus with a perfect love? I think he knows that. But he says, I love you anyway. So his lo he loved him enough, and, and he knew that his sincerity level was high enough that Jesus would know his heart. That even though he says, I love you, you, do you love Jesus with a perfect love? Neither do I. But do you have a significant love for Jesus? Yes. Does he know that your love is not perfect? Of course he knows your love is not perfect. That's why he died on the cross for you and for me. No human being I know has a perfect love for God. But why does he do this for Peter? I love this. Here's, here's why. Peter sinned big. Peter talked big. Peter denied big. When you sin big, you've got to be restored big. All right? You sin in private, you confess it. God, God forgives you because of the work of Christ. When you sin big in public, you're probably going to need a public restoration, just like Peter. And that's what's going on here. I love this. It's so wonderful. He restores us when we fail. How does... 2016's coming. You haven't sinned yet in 2016. <laughs> but you will. How will he restore you? How will he restore me? How does he restore Peter? First of all, with straightforward questions. Do you love me? When you sin against God, God's, God's going to come to you in, in the repentance mode. Says, do you really love me? Yes, of course I do. I didn't want to do that. I, I, I didn't want to do that, but I did it. Do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than your work? Do you love me more than the other disciples? Do you love me more than your money? Do you love me more than your position? Do you love me more than anything else? Yeah, not always, but I want to. He restores us by asking penetrating questions to our heart. But you know by grace that he loves you, don't you? And so when God asks you the tough questions, you can answer them. Honestly. You want to be restored to fellowship? Of course. Yeah. He, he asks tough questions. I love you. I really do. And then, he, and then with straightforward, how does he restore us? With straightforward forgiveness. <clears throat> After asking Peter three times, do you love me? What does he say to him? Tend my sheep. Feed my flock. Here's the translation. Get back to work. Don't you just sit around and, and navel gaze 
Don't sit around and think you're not forgiven. Don't sit around and wallow in your own guilt. Jesus paid for your guilt, my guilt on the cross. Sometimes we think we're more spiritual if we just wallow around in guilt a little more. Hey, let me take a whip and beat myself. I sinned. Jesus says, I took it all for you, and it was far worse for you than you could ever imagine. You love me? Yes. All right. You're forgiven. Go on. Go to it. Get back. Tend my, tend my, my sheep. Get out there. Don't wallow in your guilt in the coming year. That's how he restores. And then with a straightforward challenge. He restores us with a straightforward challenge. He restores Peter with a straightforward challenge. Peter, sometime you're going to hit that point where you're going to, I'm going to take, somebody's going to take you where you're not going to want to go. Signifying the way he would serve Jesus in his death. And how did Peter die? Historically, the church tells us, it's not in the Bible, but the church tells us he died by crucifixion. Because the next time they came to him and they said, are you a Christian? He said, absolutely, I'm a Christian. The next time they came and said, you follower of Christ? Absolutely, I'm a follower of Christ. You know, if you don't deny him and, and, and exalt the emperor, you're going to die. And it's not going to be nice. He said, Did you, you hang me upside down. The tradition goes he was crucified upside down. We don't know if that's true, but it sounds like Peter, doesn't it? A little dramatic. <laughs> yeah, hang me upside down because I don't deserve to be hung right side up. Sounds like Peter. Is he alive? The tomb is empty. The work is done. To telestai is the Greek. It is finished. He's not angry at you. And in the resurrection, we have these three things that we want to go back to uh, as a part of, of remembering how powerful this whole book of John is. There's a revealing, the grace of certainty. He's alive. There is a refreshment, the grace of provision, rest in him. There is restoration, the grace of forgiveness. The last verse in the Gospel of John. Now, there are also many other things that Jesus did were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that could be written. The story continues. Jesus did far more than we will know until we get home. But when we get home, if, if the rapture happened right now, I'm going to run to Jesus and, let's, and Bishop will be with me, carrying me. Let's get around Jesus and say, what did you do that's not written in the book? And we'll sit around for several thousand years. But let me tell you this, that his story continues right now in your life. And there are untold things that have not yet been written that he's going to do in your life, right, this year. Because he's the resurrected Lord. And because he loves you. And because of the cross, he's poured out all of his wrath on his son, and he's got none left for you. He's a good, good father. 
It's who he is. It's who he is. And you're loved by him. It's who you are. Do not forget, it's who you are. You take it to heart. And let's pray. Our living God, how we praise you, how we lift up your name for your mercy, your justice poured out on your son and not on us, the tender mercies that you show us every day of our lives. And so with our imperfect selves, but with hearts that do have love for you, we ask that you would fill us. We give you, we give you great praise and honor and ask that this year you would flesh your many graces out in our lives. As we depend on you, bless these precious people and the leaders of this church whom you love, who you've known before the foundation of the world. Bless them deeply. Bless them with your grace because we pray all of these things in the strong name of our risen Savior, Jesus. God's people said, amen.